0: It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Shireen Al Adimi. She is a former middle school teacher and is currently finishing her doctoral studies at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. She was born in Yemen and has lived in the United States for 10 years. She recently wrote an article published by Common Dreams titled, Only Americans Can Stop America's War on Yemen. Shireen Al Adimi, welcome to Talk Nation Radio.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. Just in case someone has stumbled onto this program who normally gets their news from CNN or NPR, can you explain what you mean by America's war on Yemen? How is it America's war?
1: Right. So what I mean by that is that since the onset of the um, Saudi-led coalition's attack on Yemen in March 2015, uh, the Obama administration and now continuing on with the Trump administration has been very much in support of the war they had set up joint communications with the Saudis right from the beginning to help them with the targeting, uh, intelligence, logistical support. The uh, U.S. Army provides mid-air refueling to Saudi air jets as they're bombing um, Yemen. And so, uh, and of course, we know that they've been uh, selling uh, weapons, billions worth in weapons to the Saudis since the beginning of the war. So the way Yemenis see this is that it's very much a war between... Yemen and uh, a coalition of Saudi Arabia the United States and other countries
0: and this is a a bipartisan effort with presidents and Congress through two presidential administrations is is that part of why we hear so little about it do you think
1: it's one of the reasons why we don't hear as much about it it's because um, you know Congress has not passed any measures that restrict our sales of weapons to the Saudis during this war and you know the call for restricting weapons is also a bipartisan effort. So, in the Senate, we have uh, Senator Chris Murphy and Senator Rand Paul, a, Republican, a Democrat and a Republican, who have been calling for the U.S. to extricate itself from the war in Yemen because this is seen as uh, a war that supports potential war crimes committed by the Saudis in, in Yemen. And the documentation is uh, plenty. It's, there's lots of evidence for potential war crimes they have targeted, continuously targeted homes and residential areas and schools and hospitals. You've heard about at least four hospitals that were supported by Doctors Without Borders that have been targeted in Yemen, and this is after the coordinates were given to the coalition. And so um, it's unfortunately something that both parties have supported since the onset, and um, even recently when there was a measure in the House to try to address this issue, uh, it was. it was not successful in, in its original form, um, and that's, again, largely to a bipartisan agreement on this war in Yemen.
0: By its original form, do you refer to it uh, being passed as sort of a toothless statement rather than a, a policy, or what do you mean by original?
1: Exactly, so, right, so the uh, original resolution was h Con. Resolution um, 81, which was proposed by um, Congressman Ro Khanna from California, And it sought for the United States to stop supporting the Saudi-led coalition in all its efforts that I mentioned earlier, you know, bombing and intelligence and refueling and whatnot. And he had invoked the War Powers Resolution, which meant that it was a privileged bill. It had to have gone to um, uh, the floor for a debate and a vote. And instead, it was stripped of its privileged status, and he had to negotiate, and he's been open about this on Twitter and his statements, he had to negotiate a watered-down version of that bill, which was non-binding. It ended up passing in the House overwhelmingly, but it contained several factual inaccuracies. It was basically Saudi talking points about the war and the purpose of the war uh, in Yemen, and didn't really address U.S. involvement. It did acknowledge that the us shouldn't be helping that this is not that this is happening without congressional support, but it didn't really do anything to stop u s involvement in Yemen.
0: Yeah, I, I, in fact, didn't realize that the War Powers Resolution uh, wasn't strictly binding in terms of privilege. I, I in my experience in the past, any time a congressman has, has brought something up as a privileged resolution under the War Powers Resolution, it's been honored as such. Is is this, as far as you know, unprecedented for the, the so-called leadership to to reject that?
1: I've been wondering the same. As far as I know, this is the only case I know of where this has been stripped of its status. It was supposed to go to debate within two weeks, and they stalled, and stalled, and stalled, and then finally they stripped it of its um, powers.
0: Yeah, and and this congressman is still doing public events and pursuing this. Is there is there some chance of something else moving forward uh, anytime soon?
1: Yes, he had expressed that he's still hopeful. Um, he, right now there are 45 co-sponsors of that bill, mostly Democrats, but a few Republicans as well. Two of the original co-sponsors with him were Republicans. And so he's saying that if we have a hundred co-sponsors, maybe this will have another chance in the House. But he's also hopeful that somebody like Bernie Sanders in the Senate would introduce legislation that would try to extricate the U.S. from Yemen.
0: Uh, One would hope so. Uh, I know Senator Sanders is proposing uh, relief to Puerto Rico and, uh, and the Virgin Islands, I know a good place where that money could come from, uh, but right. uh, we'll see. Uh, Shereen al what just to, to, to inform people who may not be hearing much in the US media of what it is that's happening in Yemen, who, who else is involved? Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates as well?
1: Yes. So, actually, it's a multitude of Arab countries. Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates are leading the, the war. Um, they are receiving, like I said, support from the United States and the United Kingdom as well, logistical training, all of that. And um, part of the coalition also includes Morocco, Jordan, Egypt, uh, Qatar, and so their spat with the Saudis was involved in the coalition. Bahrain, Kuwait, uh, essentially all of the Gulf countries except for Oman um, and um and they're supported as well, I think, by France, some logistical uh, training there. And then Djibouti and Somalia have made their air spaces and their bases available for the coalition. So it's very much a, a multiple m- multiple countries are involved, uh, are very heavily involved in one way or another.
0: And, and a lot of British weapons as well, and, and peace activists uh, demanding a, a halt to that in the in the U.K., is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: British weapons, Canadian weapons, German weapons. Dutch weapons. Uh, pretty much everybody has sold weapons to the to the Saudis over the last two two years.
0: So I, I understand the the profit motive of the weapons dealers. What's the yes. What's the justification of all these Gulf countries and and the United States for this?
1: So the United States has uh, a desire to maintain control in that region. Yemen is at a strategic location. There uh, oil shipments that transferred through Bab al-Mandeb, uh, the Strait of Mandeb over there. And um, it's in their interest to keep that under control. Uh, and I think with Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia has historically seen Yemen as its backyard. They've had an influence in Yemeni politics over the years, in Yemeni wars. And I think they panicked when the Houthis had taken over the capital in Sanaa, in 2014, September 2014. And they thought this new, you know, uh, crown prince, the current crown prince at the time he was uh, newly appointed as as defense minister, I think he thought that coming into Yemen and quashing that revolution or the coup uh, would be an easy task that he could just come in and bomb and then a few days later, I mean, uh, even the, the way they named this operation, they called it Operation Decisive Storm, and then a month later changed the name to Operation Restoring Hope. I mean, they're still bombing Yemen. They're starving people to death. I don't know where the hope is in that, So. It's a very naive approach. They thought that they could just come in and take control very quickly, but that didn't end up happening. So there are some interests there. People want to maintain their interest in the region, and uh, the changing political situation in Yemen was very concerning for those powers. Right. The UAE might have other ambitions um, uh, in Yemen as well. There are reports that they are you know, trying to... Um, there's a there's Socotra Island in the south of Yemen, and there are reports that the Emiratis might be interested in that island for tourism purposes and whatnot. So it's not really clear what their interests are, but they have been very heavily involved in Yemen.
0: I, I wonder if the if the naive belief in, in easy victories and progress goes back even further. Um, I, I mean, what, what role in creating this situation was played by the U.S. drone war on Yemen that, that pre- then-President Barack Obama famously called a big success.
1: I mean, none of it is a success. And that is still happening in parallel, by the way, to the U.S. involvement in helping the Saudi coalition. So they are still trying to uh, drone certain areas, and Obama famously, um, uh, you know, ordered the drone attack on a U.S. citizen in Yemen without due process or anything like that. And so, of course, that has built resentment in Yemen. We see a lot of extremist groups who have uh, continued to expand. And ironically, you know, the Saudis and and the U.S. says that they want to counter terrorism in Yemen, but um, their alliance has caused a lot of uh, groups to expand over the last couple of years. ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Yemen is very much in control in various areas in the south where you know they claim are under coalition control but really they have a lot of terrorist groups controlling those areas and the mistake the u.s did was that i mean there's evidence that the saudi-led coalition had partnered up with al-qaeda at times to counter the houthis but then when they took over those areas you know now they have al-qaeda to reckon with and so in yemen they're just seen as all part of the same group, whether it's Saudi or al-Qaeda or ISIS, they're all same as part of the same group.
0: I, I imagine you remember, as I do, uh, back on April 23rd, 2013, This the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee uh, had a hearing on drones and heard from a young man from Yemen named Faria al-Muslimi, whose village had just been attacked by a U.S. drone, and he said that the U.S. drones were doing more to build up support for terrorists in Yemen than the terrorists ever could have dreamed of. Uh, on their own, do you do you think that was a, a an accurate analysis?
1: It's free publicity, right? Uh, people are getting attacked, and they're not quite sure why they're getting attacked. And um, and so, I mean, I'm not sure that marginalization always leads to um, affiliation with terrorist organizations, but um, it definitely does not do anything to curb terrorism and terrorist acts in Yemen when they see uh, that people are committing injustice to their communities and to their areas in the name of fighting injustice. And so there's a lot of resentment built in in parts of Yemen because of these drone wars.
0: And, and just quickly, when you mentioned a, a U.S. citizen being targeted, I think maybe more significant is a, is a child being targeted if you're referring to Abdulrahman Ra- Abdul al-Awlaki. Um, is that the... Is that the drone strike you were referring to?
1: Right, right. So his 16 or 14-year-old child, I can't remember now, um, was targeted a week after he was targeted. And um, actually in January of this year, Trump had ordered another attack in Yemen as part of this countering terrorism, and Aulaqib's daughter, who's I think uh, eight years old, she was also killed in that attack.
0: And so right the yeah. the little sister of of Abdul Rahman, a uh, daughter daughter of, right. of Anwar, yeah, um, and, and and so what is the state of affairs in Yemen now? What is the status of famine and disease and and death?
1: So it's um, it's unprecedented. It's what the UN calls um, you know the worst humanitarian crisis on earth right now, and it's because not only has the US along with Saudi Arabia and Emirates and all those countries, not only have they been bombing Yemen, but they've been controlling all of Yemen's land, air, and sea borders. Um, and so and they've heavily restricted aid and trade. Yemen used to import 90% of its food prior to the war. And right now, aid is just trickling in. Um, and people are not able to afford the rising food prices because of the limited supplies, uh, as well as not being paid for over a year. Anybody who's worked in the government sector has not been paid for over a year now. And so um, people are really suffering in areas that the coalition controls, like I mentioned earlier, you know, and th- this is an area where I'm from in Yemen and Aden in the south. You have uh, various groups trying to um, uh, that are, you know, fighting for power, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, different different political groups. And in the north that is under the control of the Houthis and uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh, Um, people are are starving to death because there's not enough food coming in. Um, There's a report from Save the Children that 63,000 children last year died because of disease and um, uh, hunger. So these are preventable diseases like cholera. And this year, 50,000 children died so far. These are just the figures for children. So 113,000 children so far just in the last two years. And they're projecting that 150,000 children are going to die in the next three months because the Saudis now have tightened their blockade on Yemen. And so it's really unprecedented. People are dying by the hundreds each day. Um, Those who are most vulnerable are getting diseases like cholera, and they're not able to fight off cholera. There are almost a million cases of cholera in Yemen, which, again, is the worst on record. So uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that this is the worst humanitarian crisis on Earth right now.
0: It, it's, it, it seems like if it were caused by anything else, uh, if it could be pinned on, you know, natural weather patterns, uh, then the u s media would be filling our ears with the need to uh, to make donations and give aid, but because the thing that needs to be done is to is to stop the war, is to stop destroying the country. you know, we hear so little about it. Um, I mean, do you think if if it were caused by anything other than the United States military and its allies, the u s media would be would be behaving differently?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, there's been almost complete silence from mainstream media on Yemen. And when it is reported on, they very much highlight the role of Iran, again, based on complete fabrication by the Saudis. Um, And they position this as a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and Yemen is kind of in between and whatnot. But nobody's really talking about our role and what we've done to cause this. It's not a famine. It's a man-made famine. Uh, it's a man-made disaster, and we are the people who caused this. So, 60 Minutes, for example, had a report last week, and honestly, I was thrilled that finally some a mainstream um, uh, uh, program like 60 Minutes was going to highlight the the situation in Yemen. And in their reporting, they did a really good job highlighting the uh, humanitarian crisis. They spoke to the head of the World Food Program. But never once did they mention that the United States has had a heavy role in, help in causing this conflict, not once. And so people just then view this as some conflict that's happening somewhere else to people because they're fighting with each other and nobody really realizes or few realize that we're causing this. And if we were to stop today, the Saudis couldn't continue fighting this war without the U.S.'s help and this will surely end and it will alleviate people's suffering
0: so people are expected to figure out where to send aid even while their own tax dollars are are creating the need right <laughs> and
1: even aid very little aid is coming in the UN is heavily you know underfunded when it comes to Yemen the Saudis had pledged millions and didn't deliver nearly uh, you know a fraction of what they had promised uh, and so very these organizations are very stressed uh, they're not able to fundraise enough, and even when the food, uh, even even the food shipments and the aid that they do have, very little of it is trickling into the country. Uh,
0: and with the with the blockade, I know that it hasn't been easy easy for journalists. Uh, how did sixty minutes get uh, footage, if you know? And and what are the best sources of news uh, coming out of Yemen? And how are they coming out of Yemen?
1: I was actually surprised that it took 60 minutes so long to figure out that you can pay reporters on the ground because The Guardian has been doing that for two and a half years. BBC has had people coming in and out of Yemen at times. Um, And, you know, 60 Minutes made it a big deal to mention that they couldn't get anybody in. They couldn't themselves get in, but they somehow managed to bring footage out as though the footage is so impossible to come out. There are people in Yemen on Twitter who are constantly uploading videos. They're ordinary citizens as well as journalists Um, and they are reporting on these crimes, they are reporting, you know, in in graphic detail everything that's happening in Yemen, they are uh, being hired by different organizations like the New York Times and the Guardian and whatnot to uh, deliver these reports, Um, and so it's, it's accessible. People have internet, people can still upload videos and share them with the world. And so my source really is those people who are on the ground, because oftentimes there is an airstrike that occurs that we don't hear about until days later, if we hear about it at all. And so uh, if you really want to get to know what's happening on the ground, you know, there are journalists, Yemeni journalists, and um, ordinary Yemenis on the ground who are reporting extensively on this.
0: If we post your your Twitter handle at talknationradio.org, will people be able to follow you on Twitter and find some of that news?
1: Absolutely. I have focused my entire Twitter account on bringing awareness for Yemen, fundraising for organizations that are there and, um, you know, helping people, navigating people to political action here in the U.S. Uh,
0: We're speaking with Shireen al Adimi, whose article at Common Dreams uh, is called, Only Americans Can Stop America's War on Yemen. Uh, Shireen, what about the United Nations? Is it simply under the thumb of the United States on this? Where has it been?
1: It's under the thumb of the United States and Saudi funding. So uh, the previous Secretary General of the UN, Ban Ki-moon, had famously last year, he placed the Saudis on the list of child killers. And this is just a superficial list. It's named, you know, meant to name and shame people who are causing, intentionally, the, the killing of children. And he placed them on that list. And within 72 hours, he removed them from the list. And... When he talked about that, he explicitly mentioned that the Saudis essentially threatened funding, threatened to remove funding from various UN programs, and that this is a decision he had to make very painfully to try to, you know, compromise and um, funding that would go to other people. And uh, as a result, he had to remove the U.S. from or remove the Saudis from that list. Uh, his successor this year, just a couple of months ago, reinstated the Saudis on that list. But again, it's just a very, you know. There hasn't been any movement in the UN. Um, on November 6th, when the Saudis decided that they were going to block all land, sea, and air borders, they ordered UN ships to leave the port of Hareda. And I'm still surprised at why the UN just complied. I mean, are they worried that they were going to get bombed by the Saudis? Um, so it's just been an interesting um, experience. And, you know, for Yemenis, a betrayal, really, to see the international community just cower at the. Um, uh, at, at, at the strength and the, the money and the influence uh, of Saudi Arabia. Um, the UN oftentimes expresses concern, but, you know, and they say things like, oh, we need everybody to go back to the negotiating table, but they don't really name the Saudi coalition as responsible for most of this. So it's been very disappointing. Um, the Saudis have also been allowed to investigate their own crimes and, of course, clear their own crimes. They come back and saying, "Well, you know, everything was justified. We didn't really uh, kill any civilians. You know, if we did kill any civilians, it was uh, it was based on um, mistaken reports and whatnot." And so, it's just been a sham. To be honest, Uh, we're witnessing the international community just, you know, succumb to Saudi influence.
0: It seems like the U.N. adopting the sort of big Western human rights group's perspective and ignoring its own charter to look at the details of the wars, uh, whereas the U.N. charter uh, bans war itself. I, I mean, back in that uh, that same hearing on drones in 2013, uh, you had a law professor, Rosa Brooks, claiming that the drone strikes were either murder or perfectly okay if they were part of a war, but never mm-hmm. explaining what would make a war legal. Uh, and nowadays, I, I hear from all kinds of people that war in Yemen is legal because the exiled uh, former leader of Yemen, who uh, other reports say Saudi Arabia is for preventing from returning to Yemen, right. uh, has legalized the war by asking foreign countries to bomb his own country. What, <laughs> what's, a, what's a Yemeni perspective on the legality of this?
1: So no Yemeni or very few Yemenis actually accept Hadi's uh, legitimacy as a president. He is unwanted. There was a report last week that if you were to if he were allowed to go to Yemen, he'd probably be killed. Uh, in the last couple of years, he hasn't even been able to stay in Yemen for more than a week, and oftentimes he's offshore when he's there. So this isn't a person that anybody sees as legitimate in Yemen. Uh, besides that, his term had expired. It expired you know, long before he asked foreign, foreign intervention, interventionists to attack Yemen. And so the idea that, they're, um, that this is legal because he had asked for it is very problematic. Nobody sees him as a legitimate leader in Yemen. Uh, under the, um, the deal, the UN resolution, his term had already expired, and he himself had resigned at some point in Yemen before fleeing. And so it's just a complete... Um, uh, misinformation to say that this is legal because he because a legitimate president had called for war
0: yeah I I, I mean if if Americans impeached and removed Trump and he fled to some billionaires island and uh, asked foreign nations to bomb the United States it's hard to picture people in the United States deeming that legal and legitimate isn't
1: right. it? it that's a really good analogy he's unwanted um, he Will have no place in Yemen's future. And uh, he's being shoved down everybody's throats in Yemen, so to speak. Uh, uh,
0: another sort of legal question is: is what we're dealing with here genocide?
1: You know, I've avoided using the term for a long time. Um, but recently, with this uh, new blockade, which now they're saying they're slowly lifting, but again, that's very, uh, it's another PR move by the Saudis to try to appear like they're. Um, you know, responding to international pressure. But the this latest uh, blockade that's essentially depriving people of basic food, you know, medicine, vaccines, and children are starving to death. One child is dying every 10 minutes at least. Uh, I don't know what to call that other than genocide. They're trying to use starvation as an act of war. Uh, the Saudis realized that even with all of the support of the various countries that are part of the coalition and those have, who have been advising them, they've not been able to control over a small country to their south, who has, who doesn't even have a proper, you know, doesn't even have control over its airspace uh, or an air force to to counter their attacks. They haven't been able to control them, and so and they've admitted that they're using starvation as a tactic. Of course, they say that they're trying to starve out Houthis. Uh, in fact, they're starving, they're starving all of Yemen. And so I don't know what to call that other than genocide. They're trying to kill everybody in Yemen by preventing food and water. There's, you know, countries or cities have run out, seven cities in Yemen have run out of water because they've run out of fuel to pump the clean water. And so um, uh, I've, I've begun using that term now because I feel like it's, what the Saudis are actually accomplishing in Yemen.
0: And once you've admitted to using starvation, uh, you've admitted to a crime, even in the view of all the professors who ignore the the crime of war itself, have you not? I mean, doesn't everyone agree that that's a crime?
1: I thought that that's what everybody agreed to, but again, with this war in Yemen, uh, we're finding out every day that standards and laws just don't matter when it comes to the Saudi-led coalition.
0: Indeed. Uh, we, we've got just about a minute left. Sharon Aladimi, what, what can people do who care, what, who want to make a difference? What should people be doing?
1: Thank you for asking that question. I think it's um, important to recognize that we can do something here in the United States in places where our governments have a hand in this. Um, you know, we have to exercise our democratic powers. We have to be contacting our representatives, our senators, or congressmen, or congresswomen, and really urging them to support legislation like, you know, have concurrent resolution 81 or, you know, um, presenting resolutions of their own that would um, stop the U.S. involvement in Yemen. I mean, we can say this is happening between, you know, uh, in a faraway land. We have nothing to do with it. But the, the truth is that we have a lot to do with this. And without our support, the Saudi-led coalition is not going to be able to operate in Yemen for very long. So... If people can get on the phone, write letters, and I have, you know, sample letters that people can use uh, to contact their congressmen and their senators, if they can contact them, urge them to, you know, introduce legislation that would stop our involvement in Yemen, then that would be a really huge step forward for us. If congressmen and senators are not hearing about it from us, then, you know, they can continue ignoring this war. Uh, but if, if they know that their citizens are concerned about this, hopefully they will be moved to action.
0: Very good advice. We've been speaking with Shireen al Adimi. We'll have links to her articles and her social media accounts and anything else she wants to send us up at talknationradio.org. Shireen, thank you very much for coming on the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org.